Welcome to Local Listens, and wow, this is a fun one. Here is Slick Dissident, aka Gabriel. And before we start, I just want to quickly share with you guys, I am now offering my services for video editing. So if you are a podcaster or a business owner or have some kind of brand, or you just want to make a cool reel or TikTok, hit me up, please. I'd be happy to help you. And you can find all of my current work on Instagram at Listens. But now back to the episode. All right, here he is, Slick Dissident. Welcome, my friend. How are you doing today? Wonderful, brother. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man, it's been great. We've been uh, chatting since, for quite a while, and I remember back when I was doing some Dante Inferno dives, uh, you had some cool ideas, and uh, we finally made it happen. Happy to have you here, man, and uh, I'm really looking forward to... Well, there's quite a number of things we could get into today, uh, but just to keep it simple, I've got a ritual first question. Uh, for a first-time guest, and I'm hoping you're coming back on uh, many times because our conversation before we even hit record was uh, quite intense. So I'm excited to get into it, brother. So when did you start to speak your truth? Uh, when I was very young, I discovered the joy of martial arts. And uh, movement has uh, has always been my my expression. Uh, from a very young age. And so I am still uh, a martial artist. I always have been. And uh, started out in Taekwondo, uh, took a little break when I went to college. Uh, and then I discovered uh, capoeira. Uh, and uh, I was in massage school and I met this beautiful capoeirista. Uh, and she was a lovely redhead master. She was an absolute master. And she, uh, she broadened my horizons in un hmm. unbelievable ways. And so, yeah, uh, for uh, about 20 years now, I've been uh, a practitioner of the lovely Afro-Brazilian ritualistic dance fighting that is known as capoeira. And uh, I attribute a lot of my uh, kind of unique thinking style hmm. to a lot of uh, the unique movement of uh that game so yeah that's uh movement has always been my thing and now uh, you know uh as i'm getting into my uh 40s at this point uh i realize that uh i also have a lot going on up here yes sir and and so yeah uh these past couple years ever since the uh the old lockdowns i've just been developing uh what i have to offer uh in my in my mind and uh, finding lovely ways to express that so uh, yeah, only recently have I found my uh, intellectual voice and, uh, you know, my little YouTube project, my shared learning experience over there has been just a nice avenue for me to get a lot of those thoughts out and develop them and let them grow. Right on, my friend. And that's a perfect segue. You know, please let people know. So I'm here with Slick Dissident and that's your YouTube channel. I just want you to, can you like fill people, fill people in if they've never uh, visited your channel, which has quite a variety to, to offer and um you know just fill, fill people in what what could they ex expect and how how can they find your youtube channel oh absolutely uh um well uh a lot of what i do is you know i started out with the intent of teaching uh you know psychic self-defense hmm. um the last couple of years uh before lockdowns i was uh i became 
I apprenticed and became a uh, padded assailant, uh, which is uh, uh, an individual who wears a padded suit and will run uh, students of various skill sets, uh, you know, all the way from uh, people who have, can't even stand a verbal argument uh, all the way up to the full spectrum. I've actually trained a couple police officers who mm. they were partners. Uh, uh, so yeah, the full spectrum of students. Uh, but I'm basically the guy in the suit who would run them through scenarios uh, to prepare them psychologically and physically to kind of uh, get through any blocks that people uh, deal with in uh, conflict situations. Interesting. Wow. And so my my project in the beginning, I started off uh, with the intent of uh, kind of bringing people through the idea of psychic self-defense with uh, with that in mind, you know, like um, I believe it's the art of war. One of the uh, introductions of the, the of the art of war that I read, it starts off saying that normal people don't think this way. And what you learn in the book, The Art of War, is, is basically militarizing your thinking. And that's like the opening disclaimer. And I was like, well, that's really important. Hmm. And sure enough, uh, it opened my mind. And so that's kind of the uh, the approach that I took when I started my channel. Uh, but then it took on a life of its own, and it's become like more of a creative uh learning experience so to say so i think i started with the presumption of teaching and i've learned that i'm actually i was the student all along so <laughs> funny how that always I, works yeah yeah so i try to keep a kind of a humble attitude about it and uh i don't claim to know anything but i do think a lot of the things i've shared are unique that a lot of things people haven't thought about and are just there on offer if anybody mm. is interested right on right on and it's ironic because i was planning to ask you this so you know if you don't mind stepping into a uh, teacher role for a second because uh, recently, so I know that on your channel, you work a lot with uh, the tarot and also etymology. I got to say, man, like you've taught me a lot about language that like there are things now that when I slow down and really um, analyze what I'm saying or what I'm hearing uh, or what I'm reading, um, it's fascinating. It's between you and Chance and Juan and Mark all these wonderful podcasts, uh, you know, there's a lot to be learning um, about. And particularly with tarot, though, there's something that I've been trying to understand about correspondence. And recently, um, actually yesterday, I spoke with Whitney Fox and she uh, came on and pulled a tarot card at the beginning and the end of our uh, of our conversation. So it was kind of cool that at the end, she pulled the justice card to close out the episode the intention was to um give a reading for the audience whoever was listening in that particular moment uh which the episode will be released on monday so on on monday we'll feel those energies uh which is the lunar new year anyway but uh so we've got the justice card and i did a quick search earlier before um our chat today about the corresponding number so it's the 11th uh card of the uh, major arcana and i saw this one correspondence i was curious um this is a good place to start as as far as i'm learning that justice uh the justice card corresponds with the planet venus 
And I'm just curious, how do people come to that uh, conclusion? Do you agree that there's a correspondence there? And, you know, how does one begin to study the correspondence of tarot and how they could the cards could be associated with different uh, planets or signs? There's so many different uh, points and directions you can go from a single tarot card. Where do, where do you begin? What would you say? Wow, you're great, great setup. Um, well, I would say uh, you, you're right. It's uh, in the standard tarot. It is the 11th card uh, having a strong relationship with uh, Libra. Mm. And uh, I didn't know about the Venus part. Uh, I have seen in terms of planetary correspondences, I've seen a few different ways to fit it. But yeah, I do, it was Google. <laughs> I, right, right. Uh, but I do see that Venus is balanced in a beautiful way because Venus has one of the most perfect orbits around the sun. Mm. Whereas a lot of other planets would have a you know an apogee and a per, perigee, perigree, apogee, perigree, where we're close and far. Oh, okay. And in Venus has a balanced orbit uh mm. where it's not it's never far or or close it's like Pretty consistent yeah so even like uh, it makes me think of tool and their uh perfect circle mm. is you know so um so that's kind of beautiful about uh venus in terms of balance uh, as in the scales um and uh oh and so it's one thought that came to mind as you were saying that is that that was one of the cards that got uh, altered or manipulated in the Crowley Thoth deck. Interesting. Yep. And for me, at first, I always thought, ah, oh, that bastard, that diabolical bastard, he's always fucking shit up. Can I say that? <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's always he's always fucking with stuff. But then you you know you look into it, you give it some time, and you find out that there's a very good reason for that expression. Hmm. Um, somebody has informed me that that actually hails back to an older tarot system hmm. that uh, that the justice card was uh, in in Leo, or it was the eighth card in the Solabuska deck. So then you got to go and reason out and research and find out why. Um, but oh, I would I would say this. So when he when he flipped it to that old European Solabuska. Uh, flair he also changed the name justice to adjustment oh wow yeah in in his deck and so one lesson i've learned about that is and this is a very velikovskian concept is that venus might be the youngest planet mm. hmm. it might be the newborn sun the newborn sign it might be the uh the newest adjustment to the order of the spheres, so to say. So from a Velikovskian pr uh, uh, perspective, calling the justice card, the adjustment card is uh, strangely appropriate. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, there, that's just a few things to riff on why uh, Venus might be uh, appropriate to call justice or the adjustment. Interesting. Yeah. And you had mentioned, you know, it's typically associated with Libra. And I remember, you know, my my first time hearing about these correspondences was through our awesome mutual friend Mario Garza uh, at Symbolic Studies, and he was telling me about um, Taurus and the Hierophant, and 
and I forgot to ask him, but, you know, I wanted to have him kind of explain like, well, you know, what is it about Taurus that aligns with this card? It kind of made sense when he, uh, he, he spoke about Gemini aligning with the lovers because, you know, there's two lovers and we have that twin theme there, but yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I definitely want to study the correspondence because I feel like it's one of those, those keys. Like if you can look at one card and draw many conclusions or point in many directions to um, different aspects, different themes like that. I, I think it's pretty cool. And that's kind of a testament to the work you've been doing on your YouTube channel, because you can take a concept like one single tarot card can link to so many other ideas and it's amazing. And it's this uh, term, you know, for people who don't know, uh, if you guys listen to Gabe, they'll use the word gravy a lot, you know, Gabe and chance from Interverse. What is gravy? My friend, how would you explain the concept of gravy in your uh, linguistic repertoire? Oh, that is fun. Uh, well, it, there's a gravity to gravy. Mm. So it has an allure. It's, it's very savory. You get a little, you get a, a smell of it and you know there's more and you and you desire more. So it pulls you in like gravity. Uh, so that that definitely comes to mind. And, you know, as you were speaking, I forgot to mention Libra would be a library. Oh, it um, is. Yeah, Libra. Yeah, Libra library. So the aspect of law and justice, if you want to be uh, fluent in law, then you're going to need a library of books, uh, particularly, you know, everybody should have Black's Law in their life. Mm. Uh, that, that's a good starter kit. So that comes to mind as well. Thought I'd throw that in the mix. Nice. Who's that? This is Hershey. Uh, just adopted her a couple of days ago. Actually, uh, actually, well, it's crazy. I think it was two two days ago that I adopted Hershey. She's brand new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fitting right in. She was meowing during my uh, chat with with Whitney. It was pretty fun. It was something uh, something new, and she's she's been wonderful. But, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I really think uh, you know as. As far as the tarot goes, uh, I think we're going to be talking about it a lot in the next uh, in the next hour or so. Who knows how long we're going to go on? But I did want to ask you something, um, and let me give you a bit of context first. So about two years ago, I guess three now. I'm not used to 2023, but um, in the summer of 2020, I had surgery. Um, scar, can't really see it much, but I got a. Uh, disc fused in my spine, um, in my neck. So, uh, I went to the hospital, got the surgery. It went great. Um, I guess, you know, I'm lucky. Uh, but when I was, uh, recovering, cause I only stayed overnight for one, one day and my friend sent me a video about Iron Man in the Marvel Avengers movies and Vulcan. And I was watching this clip and it was pretty cool because there were so many things popping up at the same time. So let me start by just uh, letting people know why I'm bringing this up is because uh, when I asked you, you know, what do you want to chat about on the on the podcast? You you had mentioned Vulcan directly. And uh, I was wondering if you wanted to start to get into that. And uh, what I want to share really quick is, you know, it was funny looking into Iron Man and, and Vulcan because the video that I was watching pointed to the Vulcan statue in Birmingham, Alabama, who um, the man who created the statue, his name is Giuseppe Moretti. And 
when you look into his Wikipedia, you see that he was someone who uh, helped build uh, the Rothschild Palace. Uh, interesting connections there. And then there's also uh, a connection to the World's Fair. So there's a lot of different directions. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama also has a funny um, sound to it. Uh, there's so much to get into, but Iron Man, Vulcan, volcanoes, uh, you know, even Venus and Aphrodite will come up in some uh, particular way here. So where would yeah. you like to begin? What what was your thought process when you uh, decided to send me this uh, Vulcan uh, information? Right. Uh, well, uh, yeah, Vulcan has uh, many, many incarnations, many names. Uh, and the spirit of Vulcan uh, has really drawn me in and taken me on uh, quite an adventure. Um, uh, and so what, some of my earliest works, like, uh, in on my channel, uh, and this is literally what got me up off my seat because I realized nobody I was seeing something that I wasn't that nobody else was going to say, mm. and uh, so I did. I literally came out of my shell, <laughs> uh, so that I could be the one to point out, uh, you know, you you kind of get wind of a little synchronicity. You're like, oh, there's 22 primary Marvel. Move, uh, movies you know after Endgame they were sitting on 22 and in mm. my mind I thought well that's fascinating the 22 cards of the major arcana have been also on my mind at the same time and so I just took the time and I wrote down all of the Marvel movies in the order that they are uh, presented chronologically in Marvel okay. world yeah. not so much in reality but in Marvel world the Marvel in order timeline that yeah. You got it. Yep, by their timeline. And then I just wrote down all the tarot cards right next to it in the order of the tarot cards. And then I just started literally connecting the dots just in my little notebook, which is really cute because, you know, that's like the quintessential trope of the conspiracy theorist is a guy with a cork board and he's taking exactly. pieces of yarn yep. and sticking it. Connecting you know I mean? all the dots, yeah. Yeah, so I just did that on this one little page in my notebook. And sure enough, I had found uh, a powerful correspondence with um, with almost all of them. And uh, just an interesting aside here, it was um, Black Panther was the hardest one to fit in. Hmm. And, uh, and I, I had to, he was, the, it was the last one. It was like by reason of deduction, there were no other options. And, uh, and so, uh, Black Panther fit in with, uh, the star card, but the star card has nothing black about it. It's a white lady in a bathing pool generally. Uh, uh, but come to find out, uh, so the star card is in Aquarius in the shape of the sign for Aquarius is like two sketchy lines, right? Well, that's the shape that Black Panther makes when he claws. True. Okay. I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Sketchy little lines. And then mm. it started to all come together. And then, and then you get into the elements of it. Uh, but so back to, uh, back, back to the Iron Man, Iron Man's corresponding cards will be, Iron Man 1 is the Hermit card. Hmm. And if you look at almost any Hermit card, you can do this with most of the cards. And it's good to look at multiple decks because it reinforces your uh, your uh, your command, your apprehension 
of the archetype to see it in many people's uh, different forms and expressions. So the, uh, the, uh, the hermit card is generally an elderly fella. He's got a staff and he's holding up a lantern. Uh, it's also, I believe, Stairway to Heven. The yes. cover of Stairway yeah. to Heaven is a hermit yeah, card. Right. You got it. Um, and, you know, I never did this, but it would be neat to find out that there's like they had Led Zeppelin in the soundtrack of the movie somewhere. Oh, you yeah. Know, Maybe it was playing backwards or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's totally the kind of thing they would do. But I, I didn't dig that far. But yeah, so <laughs> Iron Man 1 is absolutely uh, the hermit card because he's imprisoned in a stone cave. His name mm. is Tony Stark. Mm. In his apotheosis moment, he comes out of the cave and he sets everybody on fire like a lantern. Right. And then that's his uh, that's his initiation from the stony arc. You know, I want to quickly bring this up since you brought up the soundtrack. Uh, I vividly remember the first the opening scene of Iron Man. They're playing Back in Black by ACDC. And this kind of um, alludes to like a hermit who is going to return. I mean, he goes deep into that cave to construct his his prodigy or like his uh, magnum opus. And then he returns. He's back. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, nice. yes, yeah, there yes. it is. <laughs> yes. And uh, oh, that, there's so much to go on. So so the hermit card is in Virgo, corresponds to Virgo. And also, uh, just between uh, Leo and Virgo, there is a sacred holiday, and that is uh, Vulcanalia. Mm. And so as you're rolling out of August and into uh, uh, September, you will cross over the holiday of the volcano god. And so it is so powerfully significant that the that Vulcan... Uh, is intrinsic to Tony Stark's character Absolutely. and the fact yeah and then the back in black aspect this is kind of this is this is one that has served me well uh, Vulcan is often depicted as with uh, in, with darkness as a, as a kind of part of his iconography mm -hmm. uh, the darkness but I'm, I don't always think of it I think sometimes it's depicted as a black person like a in um, the Eternals, the character Hephaestus was a black dude. True. He was, he was straight up a black dude. But I will also point out that if you were a, a god of the forge, you would be covered in soot. Exactly. That's that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. You got it, man. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Think so, of like a coal miner, you know, or yeah. Yep. Mm. So yeah, back in black is quite appropriate for, uh, with that. You know, but you can't, but they can't do blackface mm. you see so they're yeah. dancing around a very very uh yeah dangerous a dangerous uh faux pas so to say so mm. it's kind of it's kind of a neat thing to know and to keep an eye out for uh so then uh i believe it's um i might it's i'm a little rusty on this but then um uh iron man 2 i believe falls into the uh, station of the Hierophant card. Mm. And then Iron Man 3 uh, is the uh, Chariot card. And I do recall in, uh, I think it's in Iron Man 3. I might I might be flipping these, but it's in Iron Man 3, I think, where he 
there's a huge like it's like a aircraft carrier in the sky and it's about to crash and he has to literally use his suit to go and jump start the propellers right yes yeah to, to make the whole ship fly again and so that is the embodiment of the chariot part. Chariot, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So, yeah. It's been really fun to, like, use something that's so entertaining to gain a deeper understanding for something so esoteric and that was unknown and foreign to me, you know? Yeah, it, it's on the surface level is where the entertainment is. And then, you know, there's so many opportunities to dig deeper. I mean, it could be even simple as, like, a pun, you know, like, or, you know, some kind of reference. Like, I know uh, recently... One thing I really want to ask you, because um, people may not be familiar with the Black Black Knight satellite, um, it's a, a sort of a topic I've seen you've been posting a lot about um, in the in the telegrams, and it's interesting because you know that made me think of Darth Vader. Although I do, I am aware that this is uh, more of a topic about um, extraterrestrial or a, uh, a spacecraft, like a satellite. Um, mm -hmm. And I was curious, you know, because you've been posting about it a lot, I think you also had some Egyptian icon um, iconography with it. Like I know like the SpaceX Falcon is very, very correspondent to the um, myths of Horus and Osiris. And uh, so when you're uh, thinking about the satellite, the Black Knight satellite. It's very peculiar. Uh, there's a lot to get into. I just, you know, I'm kind of curious what what your thought process is and if you want to explain um, how this came about in your thinking and what you would like to share about that particular topic. Nice. Yes. Well, uh, the first thing I thought, uh, the first time that I looked into the Black Knight satellite, it was quite a while back, probably five years, four or five years ago i you know kind of went down that rabbit trail hmm. and uh it and i had this uh i had that still small voice in the back of my head that said the shape of the craft it has that that kind of the tilt to its to its nose hmm. seems very distinguished it's distinct and in the back of my head, I was saying, you know, that reminds me of Thoth, oh, yeah. the, the, who is an ibis uh, or, you know, generally some sort of bird with this very long nose. And I thought that is just an interesting coincidence. And I wrote it off, hmm. you know, but now I'm coming back to all of those little hunches that I've had over the years. And I'm like, you know, what if there's more here? So I just um, I made that graphic. uh and as I start making these visual, one thing I love with the visual, uh, I get, I mean, they're not really memes, but these visual things that I put together is, you know, if a picture says a thousand words, then I can take four or five pictures and say 5,000 words. Exactly. Yes. You know? Yep. And so, yeah, uh, what I did was I basically just screenshot the, all of the images, all the images that come up when you search Black Knight Satellite. And then I just started putting Thoth, uh, who is recording. He's always got a stylist. Mm. He's always writing things down. Uh, the uh, Crowley's deck is called the Thoth deck. Um, sometimes he's also called the Houthi. But he's a record keeper. Mm. And uh, which uh, 
attributes him to uh, a scribe or a scarab or a person who is keeping track of things. And it's kind of fascinating because the Black Knight satellite has a polar orbit. It goes north to south. Mm. And that rings very familiar to Santa Claus to me. Yeah, yeah, it really does. When you mention polar, I instantly think, and guess what? Santa Claus has a list. He's checking it yep, twice. Yeah, he is absolutely that kind of thoth scribe. Yeah, yeah you're right. right on there. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I find these threads and I start putting them together, and things get really interesting and fascinating. Well, somebody uh, mentioned Psalms 91, hmm. and I looked into Psalms 91, and sure enough, it talks about building a kingdom in the sky, or a tower, or a fortress in the sky, and uh, preparing uh, the kingdom to come in the heavens. And sure enough, they drop the name Elion. E-L-E-Y-O-N. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Sounds this is familiar. <laughs> this is creepy. There's we're talking about space. We're talking about an Elyon in this promised land up above. I'm mm. like, okay, that's got to go on the graphics. So I, I plug yeah. in Psalms 91. Uh, I think it also talks about like keeping track of mm, you know the, course, the sheep right. or the flock who are gonna be there or gonna yeah, get yeah. in or not get in. Uh so that was really fascinating. But then uh it occurs to me that B K S Black Knight Satellite. Flip around, you get S K B. He's a scribe. Yeah. S <laughs> K B. He's scribbling down notes, mm -hmm. and that's when the consistency of it all was just like too much to not to not give birth to. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I started circulating that one, and I think I I might have upset some people because when you put, you know, uh, Egyptian mythos in with biblical pass uh, passages, people get a little upset. Uh, but I'm sure it generated a lot of thoughts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like in the spirit of correspondence and you know divergent thinking, you could say that like mm -hmm. place two things together, you juxtapose them that don't seem to relate, or maybe they're not typically associated together uh but I, I think it's always valuable and you know that's uh that's what i enjoyed so much about like we had talked about tarot and how you know you could ascribe cards to um the movies like you went through the iron man movies i know you've also done the star wars characters all the archetypes uh which is a really fascinating rabbit hole and you know it's there's uh correspondences everywhere and i i think that's what i'm coming away with uh so far and one that you brought up uh in our uh telegram chat which you know i spent a little time looking at it today um you mentioned the chariot earlier and there's a constellation associated with this chariot we have a lot to talk about with the chariot and one thing in particular uh to start with was uh rene descartes and I was having fun looking this up because, uh, you know, you put the the screenshots together, like you're basically making memes. And I think, you know, people are lucky enough to see them. It's really cool because you're giving a quick um, upload or like a quick download of uh, correspondence, consciousness, information. You just see that that meme. And you're like, OK, wow, that, that's a lot of information coming at, at like it's a, an entire essay in one image, like you said. <laughs> So <laughs> you can see uh, Rene Descartes, uh, you sent the translation. So from Portuguese, um, 
to French. Uh, Descartes spelled Jeter, like J-E-T-E-R, Jeter. Uh, and then I tried to reverse it to figure out what does Descartes really translate to, and it's to discard. I don't know if you had picked up on that as, as well. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyways, you know, I didn't really know much about his backstory, um, but I'll just quickly mention this and then I'll let you fill it in that he, uh, grew up, he grew up pretty sickly. Um, you know, he's very, uh, profoundly in, intelligent as this archetypal philosopher, um, scientist, mathematician, uh, but he was paralyzed or crippled in some, in, in, in some fashion. So he depended on the chariot to get around. That was, uh, you know, if you want to think about his ideas, you know, that's one thing, but his day-to-day -day life, he was definitely um, associated very strongly with the chariot. And that's where I'd want to start. Um, mm -hmm. So again, I keep on asking, you know, what was your thinking? How did you come to this conclusion? Where does it all begin? I'd love to learn yeah. more about this. Yes, this one is so hard to bring it all to bear. There is like, uh, I will probably miss more than I can remember. This is really a fascinating concept. And I owe so much to our, our friend Mario Garza yeah. on this. Uh, because uh, Mario, he is a cancer. Uh, and so he has done a lot of this legwork. And I'm just kind of picking up some of the things that he gifted us with over on the Weaving Spiders webs uh and and running with it i mean i'm taking it to levels where he's like whoa nice. buddy slow down <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah uh the charioteer is in cancer and uh thanks to mario he is uh kind of brought forward some of the some of the myths of the characters who are encapsulated in many of the depictions of the charioteer card mm. and one of the themes is that the charioteer uh, they are often uh, depicted with no legs, uh, almost as though they're growing out of a cube or a block of stone. Mm. And the chariot that they are um, inside of, even though it does have lions, often the lions are in a passive position. And if you really analyze or think about it, you know, even if you don't think about it, it's subliminal. So if you didn't think about it in the fr front of your mind, somewhere you are going to pick up on the fact that that chariot isn't going anywhere. Mm. It doesn't really, it's not functional. So there's an illusion there. And, uh, and the mystery of looking into what that means has opened up doors upon doors upon doors for me. And uh, uh, one of Mario's wonderful uh, ideas is the concept of like a, the modern day chariot is the uh, office chair. Yeah, right, right. And I just love that he says that because people get a sense of accomplishment sitting at this chair. And sure, it'll wheel around a little bit, kind you're of. Not really going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> not going anywhere. And you get so much done in a day that you're mm -hmm. exhausted, but mm -hmm. you were just sitting. Mm -hmm. And so it is such a profound uh, uh, encapsulation of meaning. So profound. So uh, that being said, that these are some of the themes that we can build on. And so uh, one character, so uh, he has brought forward uh, Auriga. And Auriga is a constellation. 
and its constellation is shaped as a pentagram mm. or a pentagon, excuse me, a pentagon. And Auriga has uh, a goat on, he's hugging a mother goat on his shoulder and her name is Capilla. And so she's a asterism. She's a little constellation inside of the Pentagon. Interesting. And then he also, his other hand behind his back, he has two little goats hmm. sometimes, sometimes behind his back. And the two little goats behind his back, I think of those as his kidneys. Yeah, the kidneys. I, the yeah. kidneys are behind, right? And so uh, in one of the uh, uh, ingredients of Origa, is that he's, uh, they call him sometimes the lame charioteer. Mm. And so that's another ingredient here is, and this is why he's immobilized, but he used his mind to overcome that adversity to excel and in fact become mm. like the greatest, uh, the greatest of all time. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the goat, goat yeah. of, of, char of, uh, char of the chariot. And so, there are many, many characters like Erichthonius is another interesting uh, kind of historical, maybe, uh, maybe historical mundane expression of mm -hmm. somebody born with with legs that don't function, but he became a master because he used his strengths. Yeah, you know? I mean, I instantly thought of Ivar the Boneless from the Viking show because, you know, if you talk about someone great, like he's like a a war hero even though he can't he can't walk he can't use his legs at all you know <laughs> yeah. yes yes in and there's a, a another part of this 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 is an archetype i mean this is what mm. we're dealing with another part of that archetype is that uh i believe that character i didn't watch that series but i've heard of him but he has uh there's something repulsive about their 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 disability uh so uh so this is uh, this story is also the story of Hephaestus, mm. and so what happens here is you'll hear as I talk about these people, they kind of fuse into one. Just to back up yep. really quick, because um, mm -hmm. this is something that I just learned today. So Hephaestus and Vulcan, who are they exactly? Because they are they are the same person, right? They're the same deity. Pretty much. Uh, and this is good because one thing that is really valuable is to know the chronology. Okay. Like yeah. Who came first and who became this that became that. So we could say, like, if I wanted to really be a nerd, <laughs> which <laughs> Go I Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could say that uh, this may start as the Hindu uh, Arjuna. Arjuna. Uh, who's a master of uh, weaponry and craftsmanship. Uh and then you could also say it also has an Eastern incarnation as Agni. Mm. And Agni is like a Hindu god of the of the volcano or the forge of the fire. Um, and then you could maybe say that that became, there's probably some in between, but then you would have Hephaestus is the Greek incarnation of this archetype. And then Hephaestus begot Vulcan, which would be a more Roman uh, version. And then... Uh, from there, it becomes that's where it kind of where the rubber hits the road, yuck, mm. yuck, yuck, because it becomes Erichthonius, and Erichthonius is like a believable myth that mm. could that has probably been pawned off as historical, you know. And I'm not making any claims on what's true and what's not. I'm just saying this is literally a mundane incarnation of the same archetype. 
this is something that you uh brought up uh in our 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 chat that you know mythology maybe from your perspective and i'm not familiar with the last myth so maybe you can fill me in but the mythology is becoming more and more historical and i, I guess this is lending credence to the uh research and the, the correspondence it almost kind of reminds me of astrotheology as well i mean if we're thinking about uh, mythical figures uh archetypes if you will that are being portrayed in certain ways there's different ways you can look at them uh some could be luminaries in the sky other uh mythical magical beings or deities can be viewed um in a quite different way than what their legends have portrayed them as but who is that uh that last um mythological figure from uh er Hephaestus Erichthonius Erichthonius okay yes Erichthonius uh has all of the ingredients of Hephaestus's story and so sometimes you will hear people say that like Hephaestus gave birth to Auriga and then in Auriga just lived out the same pattern that Hephaestus did. Hmm. Uh, so if you, if you read, and, you, and there are little discrepancies or differences from one story to the next, you know, and those, those inform our, uh, our accuracy and our, uh, I guess our respect, you know, hmm. it, to have more respect for the story is to know that, well, the Greeks told it this way, but the Romans told it this way. And culturally, that's important. That distinguishes the, the difference in their lifestyle and yeah. where the priorities were, you know? Um, so yeah, Erichthonius also was said to have been born with, uh, with lizard legs or wow. yeah. serpent legs, very much like Abraxas. Hmm. Uh, so it has, you know, you can kind of, you'll hear these echoes or these, it rhymes with something else. It's very Always. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Eric Thonius is born with these lizard legs. And because it was uh, un, un uh, appealing, mm -hmm. the community or the people around his mother were appalled to look at him. They didn't mm -hmm. even want to see him. And then she, gets uh, all this shame put on her for her creation mm. and she's embarrassed about him. And so she casts him away or puts him in a basket and sends him down a river maybe. Oh, okay. That sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there's uh, one thing that is a kind of intrinsic is that basket uh, or a, a vehicle of some sort and then sent down on the river and uh, cast downward or mm. uh, given to a lower class or maybe thrown yeah, down downstream. To the yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, you will hear it rhyming with a lot of other stories. Um, so then I'll just kind of, so these are many of the uh, incarnations of the same concept, mm. uh, but have, I'll just kind of tell it through Hephaestus's eyes because it will be really important and very informative for uh, going forward for many people, I think. Mm. Um, so Hephaestus is, uh, is the son of Hera. Hera was the mother of Hephaestus, and she created him through parthogenesis, mm. meaning she made him with no daddy. Oh, she, wow. She, she made him on her own. And this will ring very true to the, uh, the uh, Gnostic myths of Sophia. Mm -hmm. uh, that Sophia created Yaldabaoth right. and was embarrassed or uh, there's some sort of like uh, a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching denial of the child. Mm. And 
And so the placing him in a, in a cloud of mist of obscurity or sending him away so, uh, is all uh, packed in here. So Hera, uh, she, uh, uh, Hephaestus is lame, his legs don't work, uh, and she throws him out of Olympus and he goes falling into the water originally and a bunch of, I believe, mynads or nymphs catch him so he doesn't die. So he gets uh, he gets embraced by uh, these mermaids or sirens, if you will. And they, uh, it, I love this version of the story is that the mynads take him underwater and train him, uh, and he becomes a master of underwater elements. Interesting. And, yeah. And he he actually in his first uh, being his first casting out. Uh, oh, which you said, Descartes means to discard. To right? discard, yeah, yeah. Yes, so he's discarded the first time, right? Right. And so in his first uh, adventure on Earth, he actually starts underwater as low as you can go, hmm. and he masters the elements from the from the sea, which is really informative, uh, because uh, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I believe that he also has a mundane incarnation in uh, Theognis. Uh, T-H-E-O-G-N-I-S. Hmm. Theognis, uh, because Theognis was cast out to the island of Sicily and hmm. had to make a comeback. He had to work his way back into the graces of society. Okay, so Hephaestus uh, becomes a master of oceanic elements and uh, builds up his reputation. Um, and he starts to... Let me get this right. He sends, starts to send gifts. He's gift. He's using his gifts hmm. to give the world gifts and to earn a reputation and status and give himself standing. And so he's literally building himself up. Even a little bit of Forrest Gump going on here. You know oh, okay. I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he builds himself up and, uh, and he eventually, he starts to bribe his way into, uh, back into Olympus hmm. and he gives golden sandals to the lip to the minion gods. So he's bribing his way and they're all like, Oh, you should get some of these gold sandals that old Hephaestus has. Uh, and so they start to give him favors because of the golden sandals. And uh, ultimately he's got a long game plan here. And that is that he has built a golden uh, throne for his mother, Hera as a gift. And so the, the gods deliver the throne to Hera in uh, her. She's prideful. And so she says, oh, look at you chumps with your golden shoes. I have a golden throne. But she doesn't know where it, it came from. It was just delivered anonymously. Well, she knows. Yeah, she knows about the guy's reputation who gave it to her. And she's like, I, I think I should meet this guy because he's really uh, honoring yeah, me. Yeah. So in the moment, so she invites him to come and be there in the moment that she uh, that she assumes the throne. Mm. And it, when she sits in the throne, clap, it locks her in place. It's oh. actually a trap. Yikes. And so here we have the chariot card and the stationary aspect of it that it mm. cannot move. Yeah, and, yeah. And so she's locked in the throne. And while she's locked in place, he begins to uh, interrogate her. And he says, do you remember me? I am your child. And I'm here to find out the true, uh, the true story of my origin. Who's my mm -hmm. father? And so, she, so he has flipped the tables on her in a really fascinating way. 
And now she's locked in place and he gets to grill her and and get information about his where he comes from. And it's so cool that he's using a throne, which is like the ultimate symbol of hierarchy and power. And then yet it's inverted. It's becoming yes. this uh, prison. What a, a cool redemption arc for sure. Right. That is, Great. Yeah, yeah. Well put, man. Very well put. Yeah. Yes. So some, and then there are variations on this story always with the Greeks. There's all these variations and they're all valuable. Uh, but uh in many cases, he gets kicked out for that. He gets his answers, uh, but in some cases, uh, uh, he gets kicked out for that. But in other cases, he is invited to stay for a while, and he and his mother make amends, and he becomes an ally to her. And then it's later on when Hera and Zeus get in an argument that he defends his mother, and Zeus is like, fuck you, kid, and kicks him out of Olympus again. So Zeus can be like, through, I'm not your daddy, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. And so he goes through a second fall. Oh, man. And it's in his second fall out of out of uh, Olympus that he fall, He literally goes and lands on the island of Sicily. Hmm. And Sicily has one of the most mythologically significant volcanoes is Mount Etna. Oh, Okay. And so in the mythology, Mount Etna is Hephaestus's forge where he's crafting his his uh, his his uh, inventions. But this really uh, kind of tickles my fancy because the island of Italy is kicking Sicily. And so the volcano is yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally getting kicked in, in uh, perpetuity. So uh, that just really... Uh, that just gets me going. I love that little factoid that it's like, yeah, yeah. Maybe you've already uh, looked into it, um, and maybe you haven't. And it's going to be something, uh, you know, interesting to consider. But I, I know that with um, Hephaestus and Vulcan and this volcano god, this uh, it, I'm always reminded of smithing and you know going into the forge and creating. And I know in Norse mythology that is such a crucial key uh that is uh the dwarves in jotunheim and they're forging new weapons new trinkets and new tools that the um uh other gods can be using in their adventures it's really fascinating that the, the, those are the gifts that are being brought forward and my my question actually goes backwards or i'm not sure what the chronology is because you know i did look up uh, a couple of things for ag ag Agni, I believe. Um, so they're uh, Hindu deity. Because uh, we did talk about Arjuna. And when I was looking this up, it made a connection to Odin. Agni and Odin. Mm. Uh, wasn't something I was expecting. Um, not sure if you had any insight on that. Um, otherwise, I wanted to ask you about Arjuna because I'm a little more familiar with that archetype uh, in the Bhagavad Gita. But have you heard of this Agni being uh, interrelated with Odin? I've not. Uh, I've not. And I'll so have to I've, circle back on that some some other time then. Yeah. Yeah, and we might piss our buddy Balderson off if we make any undo. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Undo. Maybe we can have him uh, dive into it. But I know for <laughs> Arjuna's, you know, character arc, I could say that Arjuna was uh, apprehensive, didn't want to fight the battle at first. When he's interacting with um, Krishna, uh, right, uh, right in this uh, battlefield, I'm curious if uh, there was a connection here because I think they're 
sitting in a chariot or they're standing by a chariot when this is all happening. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's so many correspondences. I'm just curious if you had anything on the Bhagavad Gita story and how it might yes. fit in here. Yes, yes, yes. There is. There's, uh, okay, right? you mentioned the chariot. Mm-hmm. The time slows down. Mm, the, right. the, everything stops for this for this reflection, this powerful reflection. So we have that stationary aspect that is really important. And uh, there's also this aspect of, um, much like Hephaestus when he's interrogating his mother, there's this aspect of familiar reflection, like mm. who, where where do I belong in this? And that is an overarching uh, theme mm. that is consistent throughout. You know what I mean? And I, you know, I say theme, but me, you know, I think the better word is spirit. Oh yeah, yeah, the spirit of self inquiry, self discovery, the origin story that we all want to figure out. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so I think a lot of people will agree, will concur that stillness is ideal for mm-hmm. that for that reflection and that finding you know, what you're made of. Yeah. And that's a, you know, interesting segue. So we, we started talking about Rene Descartes and he's famous for saying among other things that his ideas came to him through a spiritual revelation, which given his situation, he must've been in um, a state of stillness, whether it was a dream or, you know, a waking phenomenon where he was uh, receiving this, download of information from a higher power from another dimension so like what what were your thoughts on that particular story that he was receiving this information from um, a spiritual source uh well the, my first uh glimmer to pay attention to descartes was the the you know his uh, iconic idea of the mind body split Hmm. and when i look at ariga and in the story of this charioteer i see a depiction of a mind body split and a a full incarnation of that Hmm. and so in the most profound way i immediately recognize that descartes is tuned in to whatever this uh, this amazing archetype is and then I started to research some of the details because I, I, I only knew the surface. And the more I look deeper and deeper, the, the more it, it comports to the story of Hephaestus. Um, and so, in, so, yeah, right away I see that he was, uh, was kind of weak or had that, uh, uh, you know, a weak um, uh, composure. That's not the word. Uh, mm, like fragile yeah that he's yeah that he was fragile yeah they say you know they say that uh he got a job uh being an instructor to like a uh to a royal family and mm. on uh, on his way walking through a snowstorm he caught a cold and that's what killed him oh right you know? yeah yeah very fragile yeah. indeed yeah yeah so the fragility of it is uh is really fascinating and now i i'll just throw this in the mix to be kind of a little bit wildly mystical here um cancer so the chariot card is in cancer we've mm. made, we we mentioned that but the cancer constellation is the most faint 
of all the constellations. Oh, not as visible. It, yes, it has the uh, a very low uh, libido. Yeah, right, right. It has low a on low frill. <laughs> it's low libido. Yes. Uh, so yeah, the, all of those things started to add up, and then I realized that, you know, the uh, so I started looking at Descartes' name. It's clearly Descartes. You know, the cart is the chariot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really, really gratifying. All of these things, and also that, um, and then we also we call it a Cartesian split. Mm. Is a is a common name that in mind body severance. For, yeah, and so that split, the Cartesian split. That also is intrinsic to cancer, as cancer is the markation of the dividing line, where we are no the the year is no longer climbing up, and the arc of the sun is now split, and it's beginning to go oh, through I a see. fall. Yeah. So, so that also embodies the idea of being cast out or being thrown down. Mm. And so, yeah, there's so many. Uh, they're, 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 I mean, the word coincidence is just not sufficient. You know? <laughs> that it doesn't suffice it, there, no. It really undersells the true power of what we're looking at here, you know? It mm. diminishes it to, a, to a, I think, a disrespectful degree. But they're powerful. They're real powerful, these correspondences. Absolutely, you know? yeah. It's like the word coincidence kind of connotes, like, um, a lack of order. You know, it's like this wasn't, right. you know, by design. This is just, oh, it's an accident. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to believe that after a while. And uh, I know that um, another uh, topic that was related to this, because, you know, you would send me very interesting memes and I, uh, you know, wrote this all down, trying to organize it. But at the same time, I know that this uh, free flowing weave that we've been going through has been um you know, nothing you can ever plan for, but it's everything you, you would hope for. And right. what, I, what I'm looking at here is um, a connection between, so we mentioned um, Hephaestus being cast out and he's going down the river, just like Moses. Uh, but there was another, uh, another idea there about a volcano god and someone named Mammon, a uh, god of wealth. Uh, yes. I'm looking for the connection here. I was unfamiliar with this uh, volcano god connection. Um, mm -hmm. And one last thing, because I think it was on the same meme that you had brought up uh, Proverb 2010. I don't know if that was related. If it's not, then maybe we'll touch on it later. But that was on the uh, meme. If you uh, if you remember what that was all about, uh, I'd love to hear it. I, it was something about uh, balance, I believe. It was some 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 kind of balance, perhaps. Uh, could be getting it wrong. I'm gonna have to look it up really quick. But let's start with Mammon, the volcano god and the god of wealth, uh, greed, perhaps too. Right? There was some connection, some correspondence to uh, Moses there or Jehovah. Yes, yes. This this is really wild. So, you know what we've laid out so far to me is very like um, it's the light side. It's mm. very. Um, you know, it's beneficial. These are all beneficial things to know. And you know, nobody is really the bad guy. In fact, the whole moral of the story is like to try to make all the effort you possibly can to understand the other person's case. Yeah. You know, he could he could have been like, fuck you, mom. And he could have gone on a rampage and just used his abilities for bad. But he did the exact opposite. He worked, you know, to to elevate and in fact made uh, allies out of what could have become an, his enemy. Hmm. Um, 
And so some of this, so like all things, it's double-edged and there is like another side of it where I, I believe that in the modern day, a lot of what was ascended and beautiful uh, has maybe been uh, fused in with materialism in a, in a kind of uh, disappointing or a descended way. So this, you know, some of this kind of brings forward the shadow and I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody or <laughs> make any claims that anybody's should, whatever. No scapegoating today. I no scapegoating. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I'm not trying to scapegoat. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just putting some, I mean, yeah, thank you. I'm putting some facts together. Great, great turn of phrase. So, um, so I read Moses and Monotheism by mm. Sigmund Freud. And um, a lot of people have discounted Sigmund Freud very uh, adamantly. And I find that a little sad. Um, for one, uh, Sigmund is a very uh, synchromystical name, as uh, he was fascinated with uh, signs. Sigmund is signs of the world. Hmm. And whether he knew that or not, uh, I, I, we may never know, but it really does, you know, kind of trigger my curiosity. Um, but Sigmund Freud wrote many books. And in fact, I think the Technically, the prequel to this might be uh, to Totems and Taboo might have been the, where he started. But I picked up with uh, Moses and Monotheism, mm. uh, which was very controversial in its day. He started writing it when he was in Venice. And he says in his own words that this is not going to make a lot of people happy. There's going to be a lot of acrimony over what I'm about to say. And then the war kicks off and he moves to London. And once he gets to London, he's like, woohoo, I could let the cat out of the bag and say whatever I want. <laughs> nice. and, uh, and he does. He kind of uh, turns things up a notch uh, around chapter three or four. And um, so he does. He uh, is, for one, he's tracking uh, the reason behind uh, or the, the cultural history of circumcision. Hmm. And that hits a chord for a lot of us. <laughs> um, in mythology, the feet are often euphemisms for the phallus. Oh, wow. Hmm. And that has served some a lot of people well to consider. I guess that's and, why they joke about shoe size, right? Yes, you got it. Yes, we still do it today. So <laughs> true, so true. Yeah. Um, so... Um, He's kind of keeping track of this uh, covenant and the explanation behind why, you know, uh, while the Jews were leaving in Exodus, they're leaving Egypt and trying to separate themselves from Egypt. But they still have this circumcision covenant that will always remind them of their roots back to where they came from, which is the tracking. It's the feet. This is tracking their history. And so here we see how the, the phallus is, again, correspondent with where they come from. Mm. Uh, in, uh, and then um, another thing that he points out is that after the exodus, that culturally, you know, the, the Israelites were uh, amalgamating other deities in all the places that they went. And so he is kind of constructing this composite image of what Yahweh has come to be. 
in, in as many faces and personalities. And I have a theory that, um, see if I can make this right. I have a theory that uh, maybe, it's just a theory, that maybe, yeah, let me get this right. Yes. Yahovah might be there a tree-based Yahweh mm. or Jewish God with trees and um, like a forest spirit aspect. And then Yahovah, no, no, I got it wrong. Yahovah would be the tree. And then Yahweh would be the volcano. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so just a theory, but uh, just kind of parsing out what Freud was laying down, you can kind of see how these different names have uh, uh, intention that is important to recognize. Hmm. So that's just a theory that I have. So yeah, Yahweh would be this volcano god uh, that they picked up along the way. And so hmm. that is one of many faces of Yahweh, you could say. Um so that's just kind of some of the cliff notes of what I uh, garnered from uh, reading Moses and monotheism. But it kind of freaks me out that you can play with that title, uh, Moses and monotheism. You can get a M-A-Mon, Mammon. And Mammon is an infernal spirit of greed or mm. false valuation or uneven weights and measures. Yes. And here with uneven weights and measures, we're dealing with the scales, we're dealing with precious metals and alloys. Mm. And so the Jews were put in positions to uh, to be the uh, the class of people who institute usury in cultures. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this explains quite a bit. It really fulfill, it fills in a lot of blanks. Mm -hmm. And this is us, uh, much like Hephaestus, uh, trying to build these bridges to understand what seems like uh, a dark aspect of culture mm -hmm. and and just grasping it better. Yeah, because like you can think back to Shylock from Shakespeare, and you know that's the nice. the Jewish figure who is actively practicing usury in the merchant of venice and you know he's kind of joking but not really uh saying he'll take a pound of flesh as interest and that this portrays him in such a insidious manner um but not knowing the route the the story the journey traveled by foot that kind of brings that um that cultural information together is really interesting so i'm glad you broke it i'm glad you broke it down because uh, it's never something I've pieced together before. That was uh, nice. Very, very novel indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, one other thing to consider is that a volcano is the location where all of the gems and the jewels and the treasures come from. And the you ring know, of power the, is destroyed there. <laughs> yes. It's also where it yeah. has to go for, to be destroyed. That's such yes. a good point. Yes. You uh, know, you know, the uh, carbon. Uh, so, Volcanoes create virgin territory. Mm. So the Virgo and the lion, so the lion is the fire and the Virgo is the earth mm. and the agony of the, of the igneous rock coming up out of Vulcanalia in that combination. It's just absolutely perfect. And so that's where you get jewels. Mm. And we know that the jewel industry is a Jewish dominated industry. Yeah. 
we're not hurting anybody's feelings no. with that. It's in the word. Just, just <laughs> more correspondences. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. So these are all just, you know, fascinating gems that we mm. should all be able to appreciate and, uh, yeah, consider. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that, so I have mistakenly, um, often confused Yahweh and Jehovah. Um, and it's interesting that if we're thinking about two different deities, two different beings, um, I, I almost think not to conflate one with the other, but you know, we're dealing with a concept of like a devil and an angel on your shoulder. And mm -hmm. there's a really fascinating concept that you've been speaking about, um, where there's the the phrase controlled opposition which is more of like a a culture war type of trope where someone is planted to spread a certain message to distract people maybe QAnon was something like that and mm -hmm. but there's also a different maybe more spiritual concept where opposition is a necessary force in order to bring out the gifts that we have and the insight that we have to unlock it requires opposition and i was wondering if you could riff on that a bit maybe explain more um i think there was a a particular term that went along with it i forgot how to say it um do you remember the one that i'm referring to i'm gonna try i'm gonna yeah. try i think it's anantodromia yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's the the concept is fascinating. Yeah. Yes, and uh, uh, Carl Jung is attributed for uh, bringing this forward. I think Nietzsche probably uh, was working with this term as well. Mm. Uh, but it is uh, kind of the uh, the inevitability of uh, of opposites uh, gaining mastery over the opposites. Uh, in garnering the benefit from the from that effort of understanding opposites, and it is it's really a, a fascinating thing to consider. Um, and so one way that that plays out, uh, uh, coming back to the zodiac in a, in a really fun way, is when you're looking at a at a constellation or a station of the heavens, it's always important to know where it came from, and, uh, which informs where it's going. Mm. So you have the stations before and the stations after, but then another thing that I'm finding very uh, intrinsic to to these myth building systems is to know the station that is opposite from where you are on the zodiac. So you know it's like uh, as a beginner, I was very good at knowing. Okay, it came from here. It's going there, mm. and just following it in its station. But then over time, I've come to realize that key elements of, of, of higher levels of understanding come from the oppositional, the 180 degree. Uh, uh, 180 is a very sacred number. 18 uh, has to do re with reflectivity. Mm. Uh, R is the 18th letter. So many things R have to do with re, to rebound, to retrograde. So like as an example, like, you know, just for my sun sign, like I know, okay, if I really want to understand Taurus, I've also got to dive into the opposite Scorpio. If I, if I want a full, complete understanding that opposition, it'll give me like the complete axis, the, you know, a three, a 360 view. Ironically, it's 180, but you know what I mean? That's yeah, a complete picture. Can, yeah. You've got it. You've got it. And so now, uh, the, now controlled opposition, 
um, we, we can bring that into the Zodiac as well, because uh, on a standard Masonic tracing board, you will have a sun pillar and a moon pillar. And um, the way uh, you will see people uh, flip the Zodiac all different ways, but I do my Zodiac very uh, simplistically, I think very simplistically. And I put all of the spring and the summer months on top. So let's see, am I trying to do this so that you see my hands going the right way? Hmm. So I do my spring equinox on the right-hand side as we read, or I'm sorry, from the left-hand side, okay. as yep. we read from left to right. And gotcha. that opens up the spring and the summer months. I flow in the direction that I read in the light of day. Hmm. Uh, we can see things flowing from that direction. But then you got to come full circle, which means you have to go in opposition. So you hit the 180 degree mark and you reverse the flow mm. and you go drop down into the uh, fall in the winter months. And so the flow of information goes in the exact opposite direction. This is so cool because you were just bringing up cancer being that uh, that cusp point. So like we start in the springtime of Aries and we uh, loop all the way to cancer. And it's cool that, yeah, that's the. A yeah. circular um, visualization. It's cool that you've been able to present that like that. Yeah. 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 In in my, in my earliest tarot deck, which was really adorable, I think it's around here somewhere. It's cute. It's like I have little tiny cards. But <laughs> they, uh, it's kind of neat because all of the spring and summer month tarot cards had golden uh, ingredients. Like the in the lover's card, the woman had golden hair. Mm. Uh, and so there was a lot of gold ingredients in those summer months. And then down in the winter months, there was a lot of silver. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And so I was realizing that that was in encoding uh, a sun pillar up above and a moon pillar down below. Mm. And this is really fascinating. And it has served me in quite a few ways to consider that... Um, uh, the the so the Greeks and the Hebrews were considered culturally opposed to one another. There's mm. they had a lot of uh, acrimony uh, in their in their uh, evolution and relationship, and so Greek flows as we read from left to right, and Hebrew the language flows in the opposite direction. Exactly right. Yes, so it kind of has that carrot and a stick kind of keeping the the. The whole system flowing but also i learned that in the ancient world that um see make sure i get i, I don't want to screw this up when you're dealing with 50 50 you either get it all right or you get it all wrong right <laughs> flip of the coin <laughs> yeah totally so i believe that gold was valued in the west more mm. and silver was valued in the east more and so that those precious alloys uh, were going in opposite directions. And so it's just a really fascinating uh, fact that gold and silver have this diametric. Yeah, it's, it's like a geographical metallurgical polar opposition right there. You know, it's like uh, two vortices on, yeah, the, on the plane or the globe or the map. Uh, yes. Yeah, so with you know it's funny um you when i spoke to mario garza um it, he was talking about correspondences with um 
a sign. So like we could say, you know, someone's sun sign or their rising or their moon and uh, a correspondence with a mineral. So like a salt a type of, you know, it could be potassium, calcium, uh, some, some kind of uh, electrolyte salt. And um, I didn't get too deep into it, but it would be fascinating um, since you brought up gold and silver. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of like making a mental note for myself to go back and look through that. And maybe uh, we can speak with Mario sometime about that. Um, there's uh, something, you know, as we kind of wrap up, uh, this time has been flying by. And, you know, I want to kind of share with you something uh, I find pretty special. Um, so I just moved to Texas about six months ago. Um, I just came up on the six, the six month mark recently. And I remember towards the end of my adventure my uh childhood home uh my experience in connecticut where i'm uh coming from one on one particular evening i was listening to you i think you were on vibe vibe vibrant with um chance on interverse podcast you were talking about the tarot tories oh there we go there's the birch yeah i love it yeah <laughs> the tarot tories you were um yeah. i guess you could say you were as ascribing certain cards to certain areas on the u.s map i think you know you, you can go global some other time maybe you've already done that um mm -hmm. kind of like how they put chakra points on the earth but you were putting um tarot cards that correspond with certain places and uh it seemed it didn't seem obvious at the time but now it's so obvious that texas ended up being the star card and just for my uh selfish uh you know my my selfish curiosity now that i'm here um uh, outside of dallas you know can you tell me more about this uh star correspondence we got the lone star i mean what else is there to uh grasp about this how did you come to that conclusion yeah man this is a this is a wild project of mine and it is um it is a brainchild this is my brainchild and um, this is a, kind of a fun thing because, kind of a fun thing, <laughs> because, you know, I'm not appealing to authority. Hmm. You're not going to find this in a book. You know, this is, this is basically going to probably be my book someday, you know, yeah, that I'm going to have to write, you know. So, uh, and, it, and what is kind of tricky is that it takes a while to make the case. You know, and so I have like a few choice locations uh, that uh, that you have to stack all of these proofs up before you can make a claim. The burden of proof is really on me. And uh, and I love that you said like at first it didn't click. But then as you thought about it, it started to sink in because right. uh, because I can I can sink it in 21 times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know consistently. What I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that. Oh. Big ups uh, to our brother, um, um, Ross Ben. Big love to Ross Ben. The Susquehanna. Um, yeah, man. Ross Ben and Michael Wan. Big love to those brothers. Um, I was listening to one of their uh, shows that they did together. And it was while listening to them and their wonderful minds coming together um, that, the, that I had the epiphany of what has come to become uh, the territory system. And so uh, Ross Ben has this quote. I don't know if I, did I just say it? Uh, Consistency is the hallmark of truth. Oh, yeah. 
I like that. Yeah. And that is such a great quote. I don't know. I've given it to Ross Ben because that's where I got it. Um, and so they were uh, kind of written on the idea that uh, California was was conceivably named after a, a goddess, a Khalifa. Khalifa, and a, yeah. Yeah, and uh, in that she was uh, decked out in gold. Uh, they were uh, depicting her as large-breasted, like, you know, fertile and abundant, mm -hmm. and, and wearing jewelry as opposed to clothing, you know? And it was just a beautiful vision uh, <laughs> and, and I, and I, it occurred to me that, um, uh, I was thinking of the Empress card because my favorite Empress card is an African queen mm. and she's in the seated position. And, uh, sure enough, the Empress card is based on Cassiopeia and Cassiopeia. She is the husband of Io, uh, of Ayapa was her husband. And they are wearing the namesake, the mantle. They're wearing the mantle of Ethiopia. Ethiopia, yes. Yes. And so these names are mantles that mm -hmm. prove their origin in a beautiful way. And so as they're describing this Khalifa of California, uh, which it's even, she's ornate. You know, she's like draping with gold. Orn yeah, right, right. Khalifa Ornia. You know, um, so as they're describing her, it just a spark kicks off in my mind because I have the Empress card over in California and I start thinking about, well, Virgo and Virginia is the other goddess on the other side of the country. Mm. And I just popped up. I draw my little dry erase board that everybody has come to know. And <laughs> it's <laughs> know a hallmark of you. Of your YouTube channel, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I start like uh, I draw a zodiac and I kind of start drawing a little United States on it, and I'm like, well, here's my e this is my uh, equinox line mm. that cuts right down the middle of the United States. Isn't that fascinating? That uh, Virgo lands in Virginia in the Empress card, who's in um, Pisces. Mm. That she would be just on the other side, perfectly in Southern California. And then I'm like, now, wait a second, what line would be an incarnation of this equinox line on the Zodiac? What what famous line is is uh, immortalized in the minds of everyone? It's the Mason-Dixon line. Mason-Dixon. Hmm. And the Mason-Dixon line is the 37 degree parallel. And so I, do, I just go with it. I'm just going with the, these these. Uh, staples, these can this consistency. I'm going mm. with consistency. I'm following the consistency. And so if the 37 degree parallel is my equinox, uh, it turns out I've learned quite a bit about the 37 degree parallel just through this research. It turns out that also cuts right through the Strait of Gibraltar. Mm. And the Strait of Gibraltar is the location where the pillars of Hercules were. It's where the origin of the phrase plus ultra comes from. Okay, I heard you say that quite a bit recently. Yeah, and plus ultra means more beyond. Mm. And uh, so it's a very significant phrase. It almost, it's encouraging too. It tells, it is leading people to say, look more. More look and more. more, right, yeah. Yeah, don't don't be settled. Don't sink into anything. Go mm. further, go further. And so I did. I took that as encouragement. I'm seeing something real here. And so sure enough, uh, 
I, I put the Zodiac in place and uh, started filling in all these spots and really fascinating things have come to light uh, through that because not only does the Zodiac fit, uh, but then I put in the tarot cards mm -hmm. as well. And the tarot cards do a kind of a double spin. And then, like you said, the star card lands in Texas. Uh, you start, you get, uh, uh, what are they called? Um, mascots, mascots of sporting teams. Yep. The, yep. the names of the sporting teams start to come to light and so many things. Uh, so it's, I'm convinced but it does take a while for me to convince other people. That's why I use a lot of visual aid to kind of uh, help things sink in. But I'll, I'll, I'll maybe put for the people, for the listeners, you mm -hmm. know, because people need the evidence. They need Absolutely. evidence. So uh, we'll go back to uh, uh, the chariot card. Mm -hmm. So uh, the equinox line is the um, 37 degree parallel. And now the solstice line is the Mississippi River. Mm. Oh, you just muted yourself, buddy. There you go. <laughs> so you the Mason-Dixon line um, and then the Mississippi River, you want to back up there? Yeah, yeah. So the, the Mississippi River, it brings the dividing line not at the center of the United States. It brings it a little eastward, you mm. know? And um, so you put... a Pretty, and it's not straight either. Uh, I think of the Mississippi as the umbilical cord. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's totally, it's the placenta of, <laughs> of the country. Yep. yep. Saw that yeah. one coming. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so uh, if that is the solstice line, then essentially just east of, um, so it cuts right through Chicago. Hmm. Chicago becomes the 50-yard line, so to say. And the 30 degrees east from Chicago onto the eastward opens up the uh, uh, the pie wedge or the zodiac station of uh, Cancer, which is a crab. Hmm. And it's and as we've established, the corresponding tarot card is the chariot card. Chariot, yep. Well, lo and behold, you have Detroit. Oh, okay. Yes. Mo is Motor, Motor City. City? Yeah. <laughs> right. And also, you have the Indianapolis 500, mm -hmm. which is a very fam famous racetrack. And my favorite part is that the island, the peninsula of Michigan, is a crab claw. <laughs> yeah, that is. I can see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these they become kind of silly and funny, and like mm. the thing that, like, you know, they might seem childish or foolish. But you know that's the that's the gates that's the way to get yeah. into the gates of heaven is to have the the likeness of a child. So. Absolutely, yeah, and yeah, it's uh, between the childlike mindset, having fun with it, and you know, going on consistency, and also like it seems like you know I'm gonna harken back to Rene Descartes for a second, or anyone else who made a profound discovery spontaneously through spirit, like uh, Watson and Crick and anything else in that kind of nature, you know, you're given breadcrumbs and it's your choice to follow that trail of breadcrumbs. And I'm glad that you did because when I was sitting in on that conversation, listening, you know, I was I, now like, if I go back and watch that video, which I urge everyone listening to go to Gabe's page, go to slick dissident on YouTube, find the territories video. Um, I'm, I, I think there's more than 
one singular video, uh, which is cool too. But, you know, it's cool that once you have this perspective, you know, you, you can take it seriously. You can uh, take a look and, you know, decide for yourself. But the fact is that your perspective on this map that we're looking at will forever change and that will lead to more and more breadcrumbs and it's this fascinating endless search uh it's really it's it's fulfilling in in the way that you can look at a map you can look at the u.s map and knowing that on the surface you know you see the states and territories geography uh uh top topography but below the surface you have other um almost like a divine correspondence it's something i would not call it a coincidence like you said earlier this is like it's almost like it's hard to grasp how orderly yet uh profoundly chaotic it might seem but once you put the pieces together it creates this wonderful mosaic and um as a a closing question i, I don't want to hold you too late because i I know there's uh, so much to be done, uh, so many more things to be researched. And I wanted to ask you um, as a closing question, because you you definitely strike me as someone um, who's grounded, even though your ideas um, can stretch up quite high in the air. And um, I'm a big fan of that. I think that's, you know, it's the kind of conversation I love having. But you seem very grounded uh, because, I don't know, perhaps you've you've discovered something that has helped you make sense of this chaotic world. And I'm curious, my, my question involves initiation. When we spoke about uh, Greek mythology earlier, I was thinking about the rite of passage, the, um, you know, the drinking of the uh, brew in the mysteries of Eleusis. And I'm curious, you know, that's, that, that kind of thing may not be totally available to uh this modern culture but what would you say for for people who are looking to kind of have their own uh road to elusis to dive into these mysteries you know what kind of recommendations would you make to to people who want to learn more and to dive into any topic you know what comes up if you want to uh perhaps mentor someone who's looking to embrace their um understanding of symbolism and the symbolic language of this wonderful world Man, such a good question, brother. Thank you for giving me the chance to even honor that question. Uh, for one, I would say um, face your fears right out the gate. If it is, uh, we want to throw things away uh, too eager. We're too eager to dismiss and disregard and discard. So, certain things that that look ugly on the surface um but those that's where growth is that is where growth comes from and so uh for me when I, uh, my one of my favorite strategies in life is to uh convert my enemies into my allies you know and so uh right now uh uh, I, I've considered myself something of a Jungian, and I've really taken uh, Jung to heart. And um, uh, and as part of that journey, I realized that there that Jung was an answer to what I think were very dangerous questions that Nietzsche had had posited before him. And even Jung says in his own words, he's like, I don't really want to approach Nietzsche 
because I'm afraid that I'll find myself in him. Mm. And sure enough, that's, and that's a guiding light for me is so I've taken the time to set my Carl Jung uh, affinity <laughs> to the side and, and reach out and look into what the, what the Nietzschean nihilistic abyss is all about. And uh, that is a powerful strategy is to learn your enemy and and gain power over their name get their name get control and and command over the things that you fear and then the it becomes your ally it becomes a power asset for you um and then one quick random footnote of trivia for everybody to maybe uh think about uh carl young was taken in by alan dulles uh to do a psychological profile of the uh, of the power structure of the of the Nazis. Alan Dulles uh, was affiliated with the CIA. He, yep, and in those days it was the OSS, uh, and so he did a psych profile on the Nazis for Dulles, so that Dulles could uh, disseminate their potential decision making, uh, and that is a very powerful little uh, piece of history. Um, and uh, Dulles gave Carl Jung the agent number, uh, I believe it's 488. Hmm. So Carl Jung is agent 488, which is just really fascinating. Hmm. Um, and so Nietzsche, or I'm sorry, Carl Jung was the perfect person to do that because he had such a grasp on the spirit that had inspired the Nazis. And this is where uh, Carl, or excuse me, Frederick Nietzsche, was a philologist. Hmm. And philology is, I consider it lockpicking. Uh, becoming, having mastery over language is lockpicking and it opens gates uh, in ways that are quite uh, fascinating. But I think that it is not coincidental that the word Nazi, Nietzsche, and nature hmm. are so wildly similar and correspondent. And so these are all just some little breadcrumbs for everybody else to maybe, you know, broaden their horizons and look into the abyss and keep your feet. Keep you need good you need good foundation. That's a mm. rule number 1 to all the martial arts I've ever learned. So well said. That is a very alchemical response and you know, I'm reminded of the hero's journey cuz there is no hero's journey without opposition. And, you know, really quick, because <laughs> you just sparked something, got to share the idea while we still have time, you know, like, it's fascinating. Um, fascism, this is the fascia, this is the bringing together the, the, the merging of the corporate and the, and the state. And that is, what is fascinating is what brings us together. These ideas, I mean, Gabriel, like, you know, we would have been brought together by some other ideas, we just happen to be picking up on uh, particular ideas from a particular podcast. And we en ended up in the same uh, YouTube stream one day. And, you know, uh, I, the first time I ever heard you was on uh, Mark Steves. My family thinks I'm crazy. And these ideas, this fascination, the, the fascia has brought us together. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm going to be, uh, you know, diving into a lot more of what we've discussed tonight. I think I was uh, imagining going into this, you know, I've got, my notes here but i'm going to fill up another page just from going back and listening and trying to 
um, decipher some of the uh, weaves that we've been through. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart here. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing this again. But, you know, one more time, a YouTube channel, it's your main source of uh, gravy. <laughs> uh, how can people find you? You know, uh, please give our, uh, our lovely audience um, a proper farewell. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Slick Dissident is my YouTube channel. It is a shared learning experience. I love comments. I love hearing, you know, ideas that other people uh, have inspired if, uh, when they watch what I put out. Uh, and you can also find me uh, pretty frequently over on the one-on-one -on -one show, mm. you know, Big Up Juan. Uh, also, I'm on the Rising from the Ashes with them quite yeah. a few times. Uh, and then uh, Chance Garchin on the Interverse. And I also weave with the Weaving Spiders webs, uh, one of my uh, favorite little posses to be a part of. So love the spiders. Yeah, man, totally. And big love to Mark Steves too, man. Yeah, <laughs> can't, forget, can't forget. My family definitely thinks I'm crazy. That's for mm -hmm. sure. Because I um, moved from Connecticut to Texas, I know Mark would relate to this. My family thinks I'm crazy just for doing that. And <laughs> yeah. Yep. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? I mean, you're a frequent guest on many of these awesome shows. I'm sure people have probably asked you this before. You know, you're going to start your own show sometime. What do you think? I do. I need to. It's it's inevitable. It's totally <laughs> in the cards. I just, uh, I'm a bit of a Luddite and, uh, uh, and it is my weakness. Like my own, I should take my own advice. You know, mm. it is a, uh, it is a frontier that uh, I am. I have a natural hesitancy, but it is something that I need to face and, dive right into because it is time for me to spread some wings uh yeah so you probably see me uh put more put more out with uh more of my special flair to it awesome well i respect that big ups brother i'm very grateful for you and i'm looking forward to doing this again soon man hope you have a Likewise, great night brother. big love jake big love